Alrighty, good morning, ladies and gentlemen. As uh, Shireen said, and as I mentioned after the liturgy, we're going to take a little bit of a break today. We've been talking about fasting the past couple weeks, but I felt like that we want to take a little bit of a break from that today to talk about something that surely is on everybody's mind, um, unless you live in a cave, right? And you know about what happened uh, just a couple days ago up there in Connecticut, and you know about. Um, they say this was the second deadliest mass shooting in a school in this country. All right, the first one was uh, back in 07 in Virginia Tech, not too far away. But for some reason, this one, at least for me personally, hit a little bit harder. And I think all the parents, why this one hit harder, because you all know that you know, 27 people were shot mm -hmm. and killed and you know, the vast majority of them, I think it was like 18, 19, or 20 or something, were kids. And kids between the ages of like kindergarten, first grade, second grade. And as someone who has a kid in kindergarten and second grade, as someone who has served as the headmaster of a school where kids are day in and day out for the last 10 years, there's something about a kid in a school has to be safe. And if our kids in schools aren't safe, it's something that isn't easy, okay? Maybe if you don't have kids, like everyone, maybe the college students, the Virginia Tech thing hit them harder. Like everyone gets affected by different things in different ways. What I wanna talk about today is how can we recover when the tragedies of life hit us? Like I can't even turn around and look at that picture because every time I see that picture, it makes me kind of broken up inside. A tragedy like the one that happened, again, if you don't have kids, maybe you don't understand it, but the vast majority of people that do have kids Defenseless little kids. And this awful thing happens. Something like this has the power to shake the very fabric of our society and our culture. Like, regardless of what you think about politics, y'all saw the same president that I saw a couple days ago stand up there, and even the president himself couldn't hold it together. Like, even he himself was torn apart. Because something like this, when stuff like this happens, we have to be prepared. It's just like when, when the hurricane was coming, you have to be prepared. How to handle a hurricane. You have this, you have this, you have this. So when the hurricane comes, you're ready. And the same thing when it comes to tragedies in life. Unfortunately, it is inevitable that you will go through many tragedies and disasters in your life. That's just the nature of the world that we live in. And if you right now are not going through a disaster, not going through a tragedy, congratulations. But I wouldn't bank on that continuing. Because the world that we live in, even Jesus himself promised that the world, you're going to see all kinds of messed up stuff. And for those who have been attending the membership groups that we've been doing, we talked about that in the first session. That's the result of sin. Okay, and that's the result of the fallen world that we live in. So what I want us to do today is we're going to look at the Bible, which is our manual on life, and see how the Bible, the Word of God, says that we should approach the inevitable catastrophes and disasters and tragedies of life be they on a personal level or on a, on a, on a more of a global level. Whether it's, it's your family back in another country, whether it's kids up in Connecticut, whether it's disasters that happen in our own homes. You must be prepared now because it's inevitable that it's going to happen. Ecclesiastes chapter 8 verse 14 says, There's something else meaningless that occurs on earth. The righteous who get what the wicked deserve, and the wicked who get what the righteous deserve, this too, I say, is meaningless. King Solomon, 
was a wise person, and he looked around and studied, and he said, I figured out something that doesn't make any sense. Or I should say, I can't figure out this thing because it doesn't make any sense. That the righteous get what the wicked deserve, and the wicked get what the righteous deserve. Whenever there is a catastrophe or a disaster, there are two fatal mistakes that we make. And I want to tell you about these two fatal mistakes so you don't make either one of them. And the first one is the mistake of correlating wicked, I'm sorry, correlating evil to wicked behavior. What I mean is, is that because this catastrophe happened, therefore I must be bad. Or therefore God must be saying that these people are bad. Y'all remember when Hurricane Katrina happened? All the people wanted to jump and say, because they're wicked and they're evil and all this kind of stuff. And when we see something in Egypt, we want to say, oh, because they're wicked and because they're all this kind of stuff. The first mistake that so often that we jump to is making this mistake that good should happen to good and bad happens to bad. So when bad happened, that must mean there's someone bad. If you go in the Bible, in, in Luke chapter 13, Jesus addressed this very, very point. He was walking with his disciples, and they were asking him, and they asked him about two tragedies, or I should say he spoke about two tragedies that occurred in his time and in his day, and one of them was when there was a group of people, children of God, innocent people, worshiping at the temple, and then someone came in and did like this, this slaughter, this brutal slaughter to so many of them. Jesus talks about it. He says, there were present, Luke 13, verse 1 through 5, there were present at that season some who told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. Pilate, basically, uh, this horrible thing happened, these people worshiping, and their blood spilled, and the bad guys rejoiced. And Jesus answered and said to them, do you suppose that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered such things? Same thing that we ask. Oh, because this happened. That must mean they're bad people or they're sinful people. I tell you no, because unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Or those 18 on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed them. Do you think that these were worse sinners than all the other men who dwelt in Jerusalem? There's a big tower being built, okay, and then it collapsed at the time, in Jesus' time, and it fell and killed 18 people right there on the spot. So he's saying, does that mean those 18 people were sinners? And they're worse than all the other people? And the guy who was at home that day was a righteous person because it didn't fall on him? He says, absolutely not. I tell you no. But unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. <coughs> what Jesus is saying is, is, was this catastrophe a result of their sin? And the answer is, no. So the first mistake that we make is that we correlate bad things to bad people. That's the first mistake. You want to know the second mistake we make? Is that we don't correlate bad things to bad people. The exact opposite of it. Because in the same way I cannot say that all catastrophe is, has nothing to do with sin. I can't say that all catastrophe doesn't have anything to do with sin. And there are a lot of catastrophes and disasters and tragedies that are a direct result of sin. And I don't want to go and make a blanket statement on either one. That anytime something bad happens, it's because the people are bad. But I also don't want to say that is never a result of people doing bad choices or bad things. Easy example. I drive. I'm sorry. I go out to a party. I get drunk. I drive in my car. I run into a tree. And I'm paralyzed for life. What caused my disaster? Me. My wrong choice. So I can't say that, like, well, why, God, do you allow... No. There's sometimes that, that innocents suffer for no reason. But there's sometimes that we have to pay the price of our sin. And someone would just tell me the example that, I, I, again, I apologize if this, if this hits anyone and offends them, but it's true. Someone would just tell me about, you know, a girl, and I've seen this many times, and, 
you know, pregnant girl, and why would God allow this to happen? I'm going to have an abortion. Why would God allow this to happen? Well, God didn't allow it to happen. You allowed it to happen. And you're the one who made that choice, and you can't say, you can't, you can't do it that way. You have to realize that there is a consequence to sin and to the bad choices that we make. What I'm saying is, two sides, I don't want to go to either one of the two. I don't want to say, this disaster happened, they must be bad. I also don't want to say that any disaster in life, it's just God's will, and it's just the fallen world that we live in, and take no responsibility for myself. Because of that, I want to just kind of throw that at you, and I don't want to speak about that again. Because I'm not here to talk about like the theology of suffering and evil. That's another time we can talk about that. That's like a big topic. I don't want to talk about that. I want to talk about disasters happen, how should we respond? But first thing is remove this idea from your mind, like I said, about the correlation, that it's never and it's always correlated. All right? I want to talk about when the disaster happens, what is a biblical approach that we need to take in order to bounce back and to recover so that the disasters of life don't destroy me and don't destroy my faith and don't destroy my future, how I bounce back. Four things the Bible tells us to do. First thing that I must learn how to do is release my grief. And maybe this might be easier for some than others. As a male who is stubborn and who doesn't like to talk about emotions, this is not easy for me. Maybe you are naturally an emotional kind of a thing, all right, but we need to all learn how to release those emotions. Why? Because anytime there's a disaster or a catastrophe, strong emotions form. And if you don't have a release for those emotions and you don't let them come out, whether it's grief, whether it's bitterness, whether it's resentment, whether it's anger, whether it's fear, whether it's anxiety, like whatever it is, if you stuff those things, like some of us are stuffers. Okay, and I'm, 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 I'm a stuffer. Stuff it down, push it down further. It starts to come, stuff it down further. Well, that stuffing, stuffing, stuffing is going to lead to a volcano explosion at some point in time unless you learn how to handle it. I'll tell you for me personally. I found out about this thing on Friday as I was driving in the car. Like Friday, I was all over the place. I drove all around in different meetings, different places. And I found out about it in the car. And... You know, when I got to the school, my kid's school, and, and, you know, I spoke to some people and, you know, we found out a little more detail and, you know, and pray and all this kind of stuff. And then my kids, I found out, so we talked to them a little brief in the car and all this kind of stuff. And I'm just kind of holding, holding, holding. We got home, did our homework or whatever it is that we did. Then Marianne came home and, you know, she had the kids. And I went upstairs in my room and I started to watch the stuff on the internet. I started to read more and I started to watch the videos. And I'm telling you. I cried like a little girl. And I don't never cry. And I don't ever cry and admit that I cried. I cried like a girl. I felt better. It does make, like, I'm Father Anthony, you know what I'm saying? Like, I'm the guy with the notes, I have all the answers up here, you know what I mean? I'm the guy who makes this stuff, you know what I mean? Like, I, but I'm telling you that when it came out, it felt better. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 4, Jesus says, I should say, Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. You want me to tell you another myth about suffering and disasters and grief? 
Okay, and this is my, I hate this one. The if you're spiritual, shouldn't bother you. But if you're spiritual, I heard someone tell me one time, we Christians, we shouldn't wear black to funerals. We shouldn't cry at funerals because the person's going to be with God. Hey, I agree, the person's going to be with God. But I am not with God right now the same way that person is. I'm a human being and I'm on earth. And I have emotions and I have feelings, and it's not bad. God created those emotions, those feelings in me. Stop trying to pretend that you have to be some robot to be a Christian. Stop trying to pretend that if I really had faith, that I would just, you know, you know, 27 people were killed, and I'd say, glory be to God forever, amen. And we trust, just stop that. Stop that. Give yourself a chance to be human. Jesus himself said, blessed are those who mourn. Didn't Jesus himself weep? Isn't that everyone's favorite verse in the Bible? John 11:35. So it's two words. Jesus wept. And it's the answer to the trivia question, what's the shortest verse in the Bible? Jesus wept. John eleven thirty five. 35. Jesus himself showed emotion. And Jesus himself in the Garden of Gethsemane was, he said, my soul is sorrowful, exceedingly sorrowful to death. And we shouldn't deny our humanity and allow ourselves to grieve. If you don't release the grief, what's happening by it not coming out and staying in, it's going around and around and around. It tries to come out and you push it down so it comes back up. And you're reliving the experience and reliving the emotions as opposed to getting them out and freeing yourself and moving on. <clears throat> Someone who was great at releasing his grief was King David in Psalm 62 verse 8. He said, pour out your hearts to him for God is our refuge. David is a great model and this is what I always tell people when they are in the times of tribulation or disaster. I don't care what you do. But go to God, not from God. Even if you're angry, go be angry at God. Even if you're upset, go be upset at God. Whatever you do, whatever emotion, as long as you go to Him, not from Him, it'll be okay. Because He is the comfort, and He is our hope, and He is the source of everything that's good. Our problem is, when we keep it from Him, we say, God, not now. Or God, I can't talk to you now. And by doing that, all we're doing is making it worse and worse. I don't care, even... If just the other day I'm reading Genesis, and I'm reading about how Jacob wrestled with God. You're angry at God? Go wrestle with God. That's better than running from Him. Parents, you have children. If your children are upset. If your children are afraid. If you're, do you want them to, to hold in front of you and pretend like everything's fine? Or do you want them to run and say, Daddy, Daddy, I'm scared. Daddy, Daddy, why did you do this? Daddy, Daddy, why did you allow this? That's what I want from my kids, and that's what our Heavenly Father wants from His kids. One more verse on that. King David said in Psalm 34, The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. Don't ever deny your humanity and try to run from your emotions. Take your emotions and run to God, no matter how bad those emotions may seem. In God's presence, they're fine. Away from God, they're bad. So that's the first step. Is Learn how to express that grief and release it. Second thing is receive from others. One of the greatest temptations that the devil is going to put in your head when you go through a catastrophe or a disaster is to isolate yourself and figure it out on your own. And I'm telling you that's the exact backwards of what Jesus teaches us and how the Bible teaches us that we should find help in our times of tragedy. Galatians chapter 6 verse 2. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. 
if there's one thing that is a glaring difference between how the church in the first, second, third century lived and how we live today, it is the interconnectedness or the community that we always talk about, authentic community, and we talk about it, but they really had it. All right, and the way they were really there for one another and bore one another's burdens. That's the way the life, I love this picture. Okay, this is the way that, that, that the Bible teaches us that we should be living as a church body, as, as brothers and sisters, is that each one helping one another with their burdens. Problem when the disaster comes, the devil's going to try to tell you that just keep to yourself. Nobody really understands your problem. Nobody knows what you're going through. It's kind of like your own thing. Figure it out and then come back. And we have this, we don't want to look like we need help. And it's this kind of bravado, it's arrogance, that I don't think I need to ask for any help from anyone or I don't need anything from anyone. Problem is, that's not the Bible. The Bible says in Ecclesiastes 4.10, two are better than one, for if they fall, one will lift up his companion, but woe to him who is alone when he falls, for he has no one to help him up. I don't like it, and I didn't design it. I didn't program it this way, but the way that it works, that is programmed and designed by our Maker in Heaven, is that we get better when we receive help from one another. I wish it wasn't that way. I wish it was just sleep, and sleeping will make everything better. Or eat, and eating will make everything better. But that's not. In order for us to find healing, and to find recovery, we need each other. We need each other. We weren't made to be isolated individuals. That's why when God created Adam, he said he's lonely, he can't solve it himself. Give me. Because he can't solve it himself. He needs someone else. And we too. Don't isolate yourself. Receive help. You got a church body here who loves you. You have parents who love you. You got brothers and sisters. You got wives. You got whatever it is that you got. Don't isolate yourself. We need to become better at asking for help. And I'm the first one who's the worst person at asking for help. We need to become better at it. We need encouragement from one another. We need support from one another. We certainly need prayer from one another. We need to be there to lift each other up when we're down. Sometimes we need somebody just to be there and listen to us. This is why I read a nice quote. It was talking about community and said, we don't only need the promises of God, we need the people of God. All right, don't just hold on to the promises of God, we need the people of God to find healing. This is why one of the big things for me, and I hope it's a big thing for you, is making sure that you have an authentic community, a support network around you now, so that when tomorrow the disaster hits, you have a blanket that you can fall back on. We all know examples. We all know examples of somebody who went to church for years, and they kind of kept to themselves, didn't really talk to anybody, and then a disaster happened, they were in the hospital, or their family member, whatever it is, and then no one was there for them, and then they got upset, and they stopped believing in God, and all this kind of stuff. And you say, and they would say, the church wasn't there for them. But the problem is, it's not that the church wasn't there for them. The problem is, they were, there, they were never there for the church. And they never invested in establishing relationships. And they never invested in being there for somebody else. But when you are there for somebody else, and you're there for them, then there's going to come a time where they're going to be there for you, because that's how life works. Is that nobody is always strong, and nobody is always weak. The body of Christ is interconnected like that. That's why, another plug for the membership groups, we talked about doing the membership classes, what we originally talked about doing, membership classes for the church. We said we don't want membership classes. 
because membership classes equal knowledge. We want to do membership groups because joining a church, becoming a member of this church, doesn't mean that you just know certain facts. You read that in a book, I could, we could write a book report for you, and y'all could read it. The point of being a member of this church is not just that you know information, but that you have connection, you have relationship. That's why we do our membership in groups, that we grow together, we establish relationships, and we establish bonds, and no man is an island in and of himself. So anyone who's a member of our church has this, but also has this, because both of them are needed. And I promise you, there's going to come a point in time down the road where you are going to need that support network. Be smart. Build it into your life now. It's like the, uh, the people who sell the umbrellas in D.C. on the street corner. It's always more expensive on the day that it rains, isn't it? Be smart. Today may be sunny, but you know the rain is coming. Go buy an umbrella while it's cheaper. Don't wait till it's raining to go find the umbrella guy. Because believe me, if you don't have those relationships, at that time when the disaster strikes, it's going to be really hard to form them at that moment in time, and it's going to cost you a lot more. Receive help from others. Three, refuse to be bitter. We're going outside in here. We're releasing all the bad. Now we're accepting help. Now we're going deep and we're cleaning inside. This is going to be the hardest one. So we're going to refuse to be bitter. We're going to refuse to be self-pity. We're going to refuse to have resentment. We're going to refuse all those things. If we have those things, it's not bad. We're going to release them. But then we are going to refuse to allow them to come back in. Actually, the gospel that we read this morning in the matin service, for those who were here, was about a man who had an evil spirit in his house. He kicked out that evil spirit. And after he kicked out that evil spirit, his house was nice and orderly, and it was the best, and it was fantastic. But the problem is, because he didn't put anything inside there, the evil spirit came back with six of his buddies, okay, or seven of his buddies, and that plate, the state of that man was worse than at the first. We don't want to be that way. We have the bitterness, we're going to get rid of it, we're not going to let him come back. We refuse to be bitter. Job 21, verse 25. It says, Some men die in bitterness of soul, never having enjoyed anything good. Can I be honest? Can I be honest? I told you all some of my weak spots. Okay, it was in the first one, but I tend to be a little bit stronger on this one. Right? So I'll be honest. Some of you, some of us, we choose to be bitter. Bitterness is a choice. I, the more and more I live life, I am so convinced of this principle. There is no correlation, none, between your happiness in life and your circumstances in life. We think there is. And you can argue with me. You probably hate my guts for saying that. Because you want to convince me that no, the reason that you're bitter is because of these circumstances. And I'm telling you, I can bring you people with ten times worse circumstances than you. And I can show you their level of happiness. It's not the circumstances. And I can bring you people who's ten times better than you circumstances, and they're not happy. There is no correlation between your circumstances and your level of satisfaction and happiness in life. I promise you, it's a choice. With everything that takes place, you have a choice to be bitter or to be better. You have a choice. You can get bitter, or you can get better. Job said some people, they never had good in their life. Because they chose to be bitter. <clears throat> Hebrews chapter 12, verse, 7, verse 15. It says, look carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of 
bitterness spring up, causing trouble, and by this many become defiled. Bitterness is a choice, and it's a choice that you make to focus on what happened. And it's a choice you make to focus backwards, not forwards. Now, I know me saying this, some people ready to jump down my throat. Okay, that's why I did this in the middle of the talk, not at the end. So hopefully by the end you'll forget and we'll can shake hands and be nice. All right? But just hear me out. I know that me saying this, some of you say, no, 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 and I'm, oh, I, I totally understand that, and I'm not trying to make light of anyone's circumstances. I totally understand. But by the same token, there are certain things that you can choose to do, and I guarantee you if you choose to do them, it will decrease the bitterness and increase the happiness. Two things in specific. First, accept what cannot be changed. I understand this isn't easy. When the disaster strikes, I understand there's a period of grieving and a period of how come, and I understand. But eventually we've got to let go of that, we've got to move forward and accept what has happened and what cannot be changed. Psalm 42, verse 5. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise Him, my Savior and my God. I'm not saying pretending that everything is fine. I understand. Bad stuff, pain, I understand what happened is evil. But it comes a point in time, you need to accept it, move on, and instead of looking backwards, we need to look forwards and focus on what's left, not on what is lost. The Bible says in 1 Thessalonians 5.18, And everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. What's the will of God to do when a disaster strikes? It's to give thanks. Give thanks? How in the world am I going to give thanks? I just heard this news. 27 people killed. Like, how am I going to give thanks? How am I going to give thanks? Thank you, God, for this disaster. Thank you, God, for ruining my life. Thank you, God, that I lost my son. Thank you, God, that I lost my marriage. Thank you, God, that I lost my job. But God telling us to be crazy people, insane people? Like, how I give thanks? Look, it doesn't say to give thanks for everything. It says give thanks in everything. There's a difference. I don't say give thanks for the disasters. I say, in the disasters, find a way to give thanks. Let me tell you what I did on Friday night. And those who follow me on Twitter know this, because I said this. What I did on Friday night is I didn't do nothing. All I did was I took my kids, and I spent a good two hours with them. We played Wii, we wrestled on the ground, I braided my kids' hair. I did a braid. <laughs> and it was fantastic. I tried to do a sideways one, but that didn't work out so well. But the backwards one. And when I wrote, and then the thing, I said, honestly, I couldn't think of a better, more important thing to do that night. And several parents responded back to me, agreeing with me. I could have focused, I was down, I was sad. And I could have just been a, a, a sad person, a gloomy person. But I said, you know what? As, as difficult as it is to hear this news, thank God I am thankful that my kids are saved. I'm thankful for the great kids you gave me. And I'm not saying it in a way like, thank God I'm not them. I'm not saying it like that. I'm saying it in a way of like, disasters do happen. And that really, that could be any one of us. And instead of being so focused on what had happened or what potentially might happen in the future, I'm going to enjoy what i got with me right now. I'm going to say, thank you, God. i got the best two kids in my wife. i got the best wife in my wife. 
I got a home and I got my health and I got everything that I need. I'm just going to enjoy it. I'm just going to say thank you, God. We spend so much time either, like I said, bitter about what happened, worried about what's going to happen. We want to enjoy just the good things that God has given to us in life. That's the will of God for you. You tell me you got nothing to be thankful for. Like you are so, your life is so bad. You got nothing to be thankful for? Man, you live in Fairfax County, Virginia. You live in Arlington, Virginia. You live in one of the richest places in the world. And you tell me you got nothing to be thankful for? I agree. That stuff, I agree. But come on now. I'll tell you a true story. Right? Is that, so in my kid's class, my son Michael in his class in second grade, they found out about this, okay, on, on Friday, that, you know, this disaster had happened. And one of the reasons why we send our kids to Christian school is that this can be addressed properly, not the wrong way. It can be addressed properly. And it was addressed, the kids spent some time in prayer, okay? The teacher felt that was the appropriate thing to do. Well, the teacher told me that one of the children, and I think it led to others, not praying for the victims, but praying for the shooter. Second grade. And then they were asked, you know, it's a little strange. Why'd you pray for the shooter? Said, because the kids who died, they're with Jesus now. They're fine. But the shooter, like the bad man, and probably it's a shooter, the bad man, he's the one who we don't know if he's with Jesus. That's cool. That's pretty cool. <coughs> The expression is, I used to complain I had no shoes until I met a man who had no legs. You heard that expression? I used to complain I had no shoes until I met a man who had no legs. And there isn't one of us who cannot focus on what we have and be the most thankful person in the whole wide world for what we have been given. And yes, we may have lost, but we should be thankful for what we've been given. Instead of being bitter. All right. We said, first, let's recap. Grief, get that stuff out. That stuff, don't stuff it. That stuff is poison. Get it out. Express it. Doesn't matter how bad or how unfaithful it seems or it seems like you're, just get it out. Go to God, get it out. In whatever way, get it out. Now you've emptied yourself. Allow people to help you. Don't cut yourself off. Talk about it with people, okay? Let people be there to support you. Don't be the lone ranger, okay? Even the Lone Ranger had, what's his name? Okay. Tonto, right? Lone Ranger had Tonto. Okay. Even the Lone Ranger had Tonto. Okay. So you don't need to be Lone Ranger. And then, now I want to start to pick up the pieces. I refuse to allow bitterness to get back in. Bitterness is going to try, I'm going to push it out. It's going to say, you lost everything? Say, no, I didn't lose everything. I lost that, but I still have that. And I have that, and I have that, and I have that. That's done. That cannot be changed. Can't cry over spilled milk. What's done is done, but I'm going to focus on what I have. Then as I'm enjoying this, the devil's going to pull me back here, and I'm going to focus on what I have. And then the fourth thing that I need to do is ultimately I put my hope, my reliance, my dependence on Christ alone. The thing about disasters is they have a way of making things clear in life, don't they? They have a way of cutting out the noise and showing you what's really important. Anything in this life can be taken away from you, except your relationship with God. Like your job, you're going to lose your job at some point in time. Your family, sorry to say, you're going to lose your family. Your family members get sick, you might get sick. 
your friends, your possessions, all that stuff. The one thing that can never, ever, ever be taken away from you is your relationship with God. He is the one constant in the midst of all this stuff. So because this is the one thing that will never go away, I'm going to invest in this. If I got 10 stocks in my portfolio, I know this one is going to die after a few years. This is going to die. This is going to die. This is going to die. I'm going to put all my money in this one because this is the one that's going to carry me through retirement. These are going to fold and go bankrupt at some point in time. Maybe five years, maybe 10 years, maybe 20 years. But at some point in time, these are going to go bankrupt. I'm investing in this company because this is the one that I am sure is going to last forever. John chapter 10, verse 28 to 29. Jesus says, I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. I love that expression. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them, to snatch them out of my Father's hand. What's the number one thing in your life? If the number one thing is something that is not eternal, you're wasting your time. You are, as Jesus said in Matthew 7, building your house on the sand. You invest all your life and all your time and all your energy. Think about it like a physical house. And you chose a stinky piece of land on sand. And you build and you got nice windows and chandeliers and you imported the stuff from... from Spain or wherever the nice stuff is from, and you got the curtains, and you got the jacuzzi and all that stuff, and you invested everything. You say, wow, look at that. And I say, yeah, it's built on sand. The first wave that comes, the whole thing's going down. You're a very smart man. You're a very intelligent builder. Build your house on the one thing that will not sink. And that one thing that will not sink is our rock, is God. Sometimes, in disasters, we do the opposite of this is now we start to blame God for the stuff. I heard a funny story. I'll tell you a funny story. It's a story, it's a true story, about a father with his son. Okay, but I'll change the name. So let's say the kid's name is uh, Joey. Okay, so the dad uh, came to Joey, he's probably like two or three years old, and said, hey Joey, who made the son? Joey said, Joey did. Dad said, no, God made the sun. He said, okay, who made the stars? Kid goes, Joey did. Dad said, no, Joey didn't make the stars. God made the stars. God made everything. Who made the mountains, the hills, the whatever, whatever, whatever? Kid trying to be funny goes, Joey did. Dad says, no, God made everything, not Joey. Next morning, breakfast. Dad comes in, spilled milk on the ground. Dad says, who spilled the milk? Kid goes, God did. <laughs> Isn't it funny that when it's something good, it's us. When it's something bad, it's him. And the joke that I heard is that, you know, in, in, in insurance, okay, when you talk about acts of God, act of God, what's an act of God? A hurricane, a storm, an earthquake, acts of God. Why is it never like a baby's being born as an act of God? Why is it never like a rainbow comes up as an act of God? Why is it never like someone is healed of a sickness as an act of God? Act of God is destruction and mayhem and, and all this kind of stuff. Anything else is act of doctors, act of us, act of whatever. When the disasters come, this is important. Like I said with the rain example, what you are today is going to shine through when the disasters come. 
You're not going to live one way now, the tragedy strikes, and then all of a sudden you're going to shine in a different way. That's not what's going to happen. What you are now is going to be magnified when that happens. So if you right now are investing everything into him, if you right now are trusting in material or possessions or you're living for your own kingdom, if any of that stuff is happening, then when the disaster comes, that's only going to be magnified. That's only going to be seen clearly. You may have been hiding it inside and have a good front, but if that's on the inside, it's going to be magnified. And by the same token, you all know examples of this, is that if you are living for him, and he is everything, and you're investing everything in him, then when this happens, that will shine through as well. Look no further. I told you your circumstances have nothing to do with your happiness. Up there when Hurricane Sandy hit, up in Jersey and all those kinds of places. You see it on the TV, on the interviews. You see one guy stands up there and says, you know, this was hard. And this was difficult. And, you know, we lost everything. Well, we're going to pull it together. We're going to trust in God. Everything's going to be okay. And you see the exact the neighbor, you know what I mean, crying and miserable and self-pity. And, and disaster and all this stuff. Same circumstances, completely different levels of happiness in life. This one's going to be okay because this one lived this way and then when the, the bright lights came on, he shined forth. This one lived this way and when the bright lights came on, he melted back. Who you are today in, this, in, the, in the calm times, it's just going to shine brighter when the disaster comes. Make God your number one thing. Make the most important thing the most important thing in your life. Don't make the most important thing two or three on your list. Figure out what's most important, make it most important, and rely on Christ alone, because he is the only one that can get us through all these stuff. Last verse, Psalm 46. A verse, couldn't find a more appropriate verse for the world that we live in today than what King David said right here. God is our refuge and strength, ever-present help in trouble. I want this not just to be a verse that we read, but something that I say. Like, I want my heart to say this. All right, now I'm going to say it with my mouth, but then my goal is that my heart says it. God is our refuge and strength, ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging. The Lord Almighty is with us. God of Jacob is our fortress. Don't just read these words and think that King David is just preaching a sermon. I'm preaching a sermon. King David, this is his prayer. He didn't know this was gonna, that everyone was going to know all this stuff. This is real. I want to be able to live this as well. And I want to be able to say that if, what he says, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, if I'm staring outside and I see the Rocky Mountain pick up and just nosedive into the ocean, I won't be afraid. If the earth opens up and people start falling inside, won't be afraid. Why? Because God is my refuge and God is my strength. What I'm saying is, this is who I want to be when the disaster strikes. And if you want to be this when the disaster strikes, you must learn to be this today and the next day and the next day. And put your hope and your reliance only in Him and nothing else. My prayer for you and for me is that truly God would be our fortress. And that we would run to God, and that we would make him our refuge, our protection. Same way like a little child, when they hear a scary noise, runs to mommy's room, runs to daddy's room. Mommy, daddy, what was that? I want to be that same way. When I hear the noises in life, I'm going to run to God's room. I'll say, daddy, what was that? What was that? And daddy will say, it's okay. Stay with me.
Let's stand up and say a prayer to them. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Lord, we thank you that you are our refuge. You are an ever-present help in times of trouble. Lord, we pray that you would help us to live these words that King David said, not just something that we say, but really, Lord, that we would find all our hope in you. We would pour out our hearts to you and take refuge only in you until the disaster has passed. Lord, we pray for everyone who's struggling during this time. Whatever catastrophes or tragedies or disasters, whether the big stuff, Lord, or just the personal stuff that's going on in our lives, Pray, Lord, that you would use this time to really draw them near to you, to bring them closer to you, Lord. Help them to, to get through this and, and you, like, hold their hand through it. Lord, you promised, you said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And you told us, dear Lord, no one can snatch us out of your hands. So we thank you for those beautiful hands tonight, Lord, that are protecting us and taking care of us. We lift up and pray, Lord, all those who are suffering from this latest disaster or from the future disasters that's going to come, Lord, pray that you would shine your light in the midst of this dark, dark, dark world, that you would really let people to see you shine brightly during this time. We love you so much, Lord, and we thank you for everything that you have given to us. Give us to have a true heart of thankfulness during this time as we prepare to celebrate Christmas. We pray this in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, with the intercessions and the prayers of all your saints. Hear us as we pray thankfully. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Through Christ Jesus our Lord, thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Thank you all very much. Have a great week, and see you all next week.